glad you're here. A little something different this morning. If, uh, if you've been reading the email, we're going to uh, Barbara and I are going to talk about the manger and a few other facts about Jerusalem. Uh, just to remind you that, uh, just to remind you this is not on. <laughs> uh, now it's on. It helps when you flip the button across. But just to remind you, Barbara went to uh, the Holy Land this uh, spring and came out with all kind of neat stuff to tell, to tell us about. She's already talked a couple of times about some of the things. And we've saved the birth of Jesus till Christmas time to talk about it. So she's got some things she wants to share. I've got a few things I want to share. And I'm just here to tell you, <clears throat> the manger is not what we think it is. And the Christmas story that we've been told is not quite the way it really was. So you're going to be enlightened this morning. Hope you'll learn something today and walk away uh, with some knowledge that will help you in your life. So Barbara, come up here and tell us what you got. And we have some handouts. If I could have a couple of hander outers to come up here and help me hander out some things. Thank you, Dwayne. Thank you, Carly. I have a few visuals. But to start this talk, I want to kind of explain two summers ago when I made the decision to go to Israel, the teacher that, that taught us once said, if you're going to Israel, you really need to know about the land you're going to. So I've told you all in the past, I took an 11-week class on Israel. And um, this is a book that I, I took it from. And, and as she was teaching us, she goes, one of the resources you really, really need to get to help you in this journey is this book, which I brought here several times. It's the Visual Guide to Biblical Events. And I, I read it before I went. I read it from cover to cover before I went because I wanted to kind of have a backstory of where I was going. And some of the stories jumped out at me, like the one I shared two weeks ago about the shepherds. I remember that one sticking out at me. But when I was preparing for that one, I looked a page back, and it talked about the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. And I looked at this page, and I'm like, I was there. I was there at that door. I walked through that door. I was there in that room. And it wasn't where Jesus was born specifically, but it was a replica of the kind of housing they had in first century um, Jerusalem, Bethlehem. So um, I have the pictures that you have are just kind of comparing the actual birthplace of Jesus is in under a church. And if you want to start the first picture, I have three pictures of the actual, what they call the Church of the Nativity. And I think I've shared in the past, the Church of the Nativity Everything over there is built. Every, every church is built. Monastery is built on it. So I slept in a hotel across the street from the Church of the Nativity, which covered a whole block of Bethlehem. And this is the entry going into the Church of the Nativity. It's crazy. It's just crazy how it's just built up and, and they're worshiping a building. The next picture is just more worshiping of, you know, the of Jesus, but it's just not the authentic to me, the replica of where he was born, how it was born back in the first century. The next picture, we di I didn't get to go to this one because it's, Jesus was born basically in a cave, and they built this church over top of the cave, and because they were having a church service, a mass the day that we were in the uh, church nativity, we were not allowed to go down and observe it. So it's kind of disappointing that we didn't, but at the same time, I'm glad I got to go to something that looked exactly like it could have been if Jesus was born, you know, 2,000 years ago. So um, 
I wanted to share those pictures as a backstory to actually where I'm going to show you some more pictures is not actually where he was born, but it looked like as if you were put back in the first century time. And I want to kind of explain a little bit of what the Middle Eastern culture was because we in the Western lens see Christmas as different, but in the Middle Eastern culture, I have a handout you can look at afterwards. I didn't make a copy of it, but the Middle Eastern culture, which is Arabic and Hebrew, there was a culture of honor and shame. Um, here in our culture, it's either or, but there it's honor and shame. And the culture is, um, like, that's why there's honor killings. If someone does something wrong, they, they will kill the woman if she's done something outside of the marriage. Also, it's very communal. Their, commu their Eastern language is, I mean, the Eastern culture is very communal. They, they, pile, they pull together and they help each other out. They, if someone's in trouble, they, that's, you know, they share, they were communal, and they shared everything they had, which puts into place this, the, the authentic story of the birth of Jesus. Um, here are my notes. So, in knowing that, Mary, when she gets the announcement, or, or the, the angel tells her she's pregnant, her first thing is, I'm gonna, they're going to kill me. They're going to kill me. So, it says in, in Luke, before she too, she hurries off to where Elizabeth is. So, she's in Nazareth. She hurries off to Jerusalem to be with Mary as asylum, a protection, because she was helping her, you know, protecting herself and the baby. Um, so there was a lot of stigma around that. Even in Jesus, as he was an adult preaching and in, in teaching in, as a rabbi, and I wanted to, to, to say a couple of verses in John chapter 8 to kind of show, he, this was followed him. This followed him as in the communal. Because in John 8 verse um, 19, there was a debate in the synagogue and the and the Pharisees were saying, they, and, they asked, and they asked him, where is your father? You know, they're like, and where is your father? And it was a stick. It was just a dig of what he was and what they thought he was. And later in that same chapter in verse 41, it says, we weren't born of sexual immorality, they said. We have one father, God. So that's what Jesus lived through his whole life. And, and I don't think I have ever realized that. Or I've read those verses, but never really picked that up in all the time I've done, that he was as an outcast, even though he was a rabbi and he had a lot of standings, people were still digging at that fact of his life that supposedly he was born, born out of wedlock in the communal and the honor-shame culture that he had. So I wanted to kind of give you that as background, but in Bethlehem at the time that Jesus was born, the population historically was like 200 people. There wasn't a lot of people in Bethlehem. Um, and it also it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 39, before she gives birth to the baby, that she hurried without delay. That's what I was telling you about, that verse about going to see Mary, I mean Elizabeth. Um, as they went to Bethlehem, there's, there's a couple of things I wanted to point out, and, and Jim has a handout, and I have this handout. But the word for in, in the Greek, word, in the Greek language, there's two words for in. And one of the words for in is used in, in when... They're talking about the Good Samaritan when he took him to the inn. And that word starts with a P. I can't think of the word. Panta. Anyway, panda close. This is a long Greek word. <laughs> it starts with a P. <laughs> and um, it is meaning a place of hotel, a place where a lot of people stay. But the Greek word that's used in Luke chapter 2, verse 7 that, that um, Brenda read earlier is a word katalima. And that word is, what is it? What does it mean? It simply means a place to stay, a guest room. And I looked up the different translations and the different 
scriptures under Luke 2, verse 7. And in NIV, it says guest room. In the complete Jewish Bible, it says living quarters. In the New American Standard Version, it says in. In the message, message it says hostile. In the King James Version, in the New King Version, it also says in. So all my life, until I was in Israel, that word in, I'm thinking Joseph knocking on all the ends all around Bethlehem. Let me stay, let me stay, let me stay. That is not the true story, the true word of end. It means guest room. So to understand what a guest room is, I want to show you a picture of where we went. Let me back up. I think I showed you the picture of us, the door that I walked in, in the, the living quarters. The, first pic, the next picture on this, which you have in your hands, but still, that's the living quarter where we were. In first century um, Bethlehem, the families built their houses on top of where they could keep their livestock on top of caves. Cave where their livestock, their their sheep, their cows, their animals were their their bank, their money. And they wanted to put the money, their their livelihood on where they, they were safe. So they found the cave for the animals and they built the house on top of it. So in their living quarters they didn't do much in their houses. It was just basically two rooms. The front room living room where they slept because they did all their cooking outside. And that's where this picture is taken. We're all in there and um, you can see to the little bit of side that, that quite clear, the light, that's the door where we walk into. And it's a lower level, which Jim will explain a little bit in a minute. Um, but it's a replica. It's the entryway. And then the next picture is the same picture, a little bit more of us te teaching. But this is a picture of what is considered a barn, B-A-R-N. When I read the scripture and I see the word barn, I think of this building separate away from the house and actually in their culture and in their... Um, living barns were inside their house and it's you can see the little holes at the bottom of that that is where they would put their 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 hay or not their hay but their oats whatever they're harvesting they would put in each one of those silos and they would get it dished out and it kind of goes back to the story of the man who wanted to build a bigger barn and and Jesus said well tomorrow you'll, you'll die because he was not living the culture of the of the Eastern culture of sharing he wanted to store it for himself and not be communal. So that's the backstory of that in, in the barn. But the barn separated the living quarters and the guest room. So the next picture is a picture of the guest room. So at this point in time, when Mary was pregnant, she went to her family, or Jesus was, I'm sorry, Joseph was being counted in the census, so it was something planned. They had to go from Nazareth down to Beth, up to Bethlehem because it's higher elevation. And when they were there, it, there was no room in the inn, not because there was hotel rooms and the census was taken, because all the family of, the, of, um, of Joseph was actually in these living quarters. So everybody was in this house. And the, best, the guest room was full of family. So when the time to give birth for baby Jesus, he did was born in, in a family communal setting. But because there was no room in that area of the house, he was born in the cave under the house, which is the next picture. This is the cave. This is not where he was born, but a replica of the situation, the, the living quarters of first century, um, of first century Jew, Jewish people. So in one of those caves, there was livestock in there. There were cows. There were, there were sheep. And so Jesus was actually delivered and, and given birth in a cave, but it was on top of the house where there were lots of people that could love on them and care on them and be with them and celebrate the birth of of a new baby. Um,
So um, it was just ex- great for me to be able to be there, experience that, and, and know what the first century people lived like and what Jesus was born into. You know, there were still shepherds that came, that came in and they worshiped Jesus, but he was able to move into the manger, which Jim's going to share more about the manger. But I want to just close out my portion of it with a song that we all sang. Our, our team of 35 people were, were in this living quarters area, and someone said, we sang almost everywhere we went. So we sang a song, and I wanted to share that with you, because you can see the surroundings of this room that we were in, um, the, the living quarters, as well as the steps up to go behind the, the guest room. And, and it's just my video. It's not the best, but I think you will enjoy me sharing this. That must have been amazing to sing that song in that place, that environment. Wow. Well, I have a handout for you as well, so if my hander-adders would come help me hander-adder again, that would be great. Thank you, Dwayne. Thank you, Carly. So while you're receiving the handout, uh, I want to read the Christmas story from Luke. That in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. 
This will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared and the angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told uh, them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So uh, several things about uh, the birth story here that I just find fascinating. Let me ask you a question. How many of you know your parents' names? Okay. Great. All of you. How many of you know your grandparents' names? That's pretty good. How many of you know your great-grandparents' names? Okay. Uh, Beyond that, anybody? Uh, A couple of you. Great. Good job. Great. Good job. Past that, you don't want to know, right? (laughs) Scared what you might find in your family tree. Is that what it is? Well, you know who your parents were, you know who your grandparents were, and some of you know who your great-grandparents were. Joseph was from Bethlehem, which was called the city of David. When he went back there, they would have known him. Mary and Joseph were probably teenagers back in the day when you were uh, 13 and a half years old. As a young lady, you could be married off. As a young man, you you were a man at 13. And so you could have been married off at 13. Marriages were arranged uh, most of the time back in the day. They could have been 14, 15, or 17. But even at 18 years old, if we say 18 years old, Joseph would have known his parents. He would have known his grandparents and his great-grandparents. And they would have known him, right? They wouldn't have forgot him just because he went off and earned a living in Jerusalem somewhere. They would have remembered him. Now, in our culture, we can remember two generations or three generations back, some of you more than that. In this culture, 2,000 years ago, they could remember generations, they could remember 42 generations. It was drilled into them. The Bible says in Matthew 1:17 that there were 14 generations from Abraham to David. There were 14 generations from David to the, uh, to the exile in Babylon. And there were 14 generations from the exile in Babylon to Christ. They could name them all the way back. Let me give you some of the lineage of Joseph found in chapter 3 of verse, uh, uh, chapter 3 of Luke. So you have, it starts off this way. It goes Jesus, Joseph, Heli, and Mephet. And then it skips a bunch. I won't go into all those names. It gets to David, Jesse, Obed, and Boaz. You ever heard those names? Well, everybody in Bethlehem would have known those names because they were from the city of David, the greatest king that ever lived, right? How about these names? Judah. I've already heard somebody has a child named Judah. Beautiful name. Judah, Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. Ever heard of those names? Well, they would have heard of those names too. How about these names? Shem, Noah, Lamech, and Methuselah. You probably wouldn't have got Lamech, but you would have got Methuselah, right? (laughs) Right? And Noah and Shem. What about these last three names? It goes back to Seth, Adam, and God. If you look at the genealogy, so a good Jewish person, a 
that lived in this communal atmosphere where everybody knew everybody, they would have been able to say, oh, you're Joseph, your dad was Heli, his dad was Matthi, oh yeah, David. They would have gone back through the whole list of who you were. So here's Joseph rolling into the city of David, to Bethlehem, and he shows up in town of 200 people, as Barbara's already mentioned, about 200 people. We've got about 60 or 70 in this room, so let's say three times as many people. So if Joseph walked into a town with three times as many people, how many of them do you guess would have known him? Yeah, yeah, pretty much all of them. Let's say half. Let's say half knew him. He rolled up into town. Half the people knew him. And he said, hey, uh, wife's going to have a baby here pretty soon. I need somewhere to stay. Now, let me ask you a question. If your family rolled in here from Indianapolis, right? If Rachel rolled in here from Indianapolis and she said, I need a place to stay. The first place she probably would have gone would have been to her mother and her father, right? And mom and dad would have said, no, we don't want you here. No. And, they, and they would always do that, don't they? Always, you know. And they said, come on in. We, you know, we'll put on a pot of stew. Come on in. We'll have a meal. Well, back in this day, it was, it was, custom, it was an honor. It was an honor to entertain a guest, a stranger, or a family member. It was a high honor. As a matter of fact, if you didn't, you were dishonored for, for dishonoring them. It was a high honor. So everybody would have seen Joseph coming into town. Those who knew him would have said, hey, Joseph. Those who didn't said, do you need a place to stay? We've, we've been told the, the tale that Joseph and Mary arrived at night, right, like midnight, and she was already in labor pains. She, she was already, you know, at, at nine centimeters, right? Right? About to blow a gasket. And she already had Joseph by the neck saying, get this baby out of me now, right? If you've given birth, you know, that's what it's like, right? Sorry. I'm, sorry. I'm so sorry. It's not like that at all. You just breathe. It's do the moss. It all works out great. Get the epidural. Trust me on this one. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Whew, I digress. <clears throat> so Joseph would have rolled in. The people that saw him as a stranger said, Hey, stranger, do you need a place to stay? Do you need something to eat? They would have been welcoming, right? And they wouldn't have been spread out. Like we got subdivisions all over the place. Like 1.7 million people here in the Nashville area. Subdivisions anywhere. No, they, you could have probably thrown a rock or a baseball and hit any house in in the, in the area. They were just close together. They weren't, they weren't packed in like we had that. And so the first thing is, when he rolled into town, it wasn't at midnight. He wasn't in a hurry. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, and when it came time for her to give birth, which implies there was a time lag. So it could have been a day, a week. It could have been a couple of months. We know she stayed with Elizabeth for three months, the first three months of her pregnancy. She stayed with Elizabeth. So there's a good chance they were there three months before she delivered. Back in the day, they had midwives, and they could kind of tell when the baby was going to be born, just like we can today. You can, you can chart it, right, and kind of guess that when the baby's going to be born. But in the process of the census, they had to go earlier than the baby was to be born. So they were there for a while. So they rolled in. They found somebody to stay with. We don't know who. It could have been mom and dad. It could have been aunt or uncle. It could have been a friend. It could have been Joseph's best buddy growing up. We don't really know, but they found somebody that knew them who said, come stay with us. Come stay with us. And share our food, share our house. And they said, now, 
we, we've, got, we've got a guest room, but it's full. So look at page, uh, look at page 33. Look at page 33. Do you see that diagram? What Barbara was talking about was the stable was a door or opening of some kind that you walked into, and that's where the animal stayed. And the animal stayed at night, like she said, because that was your bank. You wanted to protect your bank, so you brought your belongings inside. And the animals provided warmth for the house. You know, if you've ever been beside a cow or sheep or something, they're warm, right? And so they're providing, they're providing warmth. They're actually in the house with you. They're just on the other side of a short brick wall or stone wall, or maybe they put some sort of wood up to keep them separated. But you're in one room where it says the family living room, and you're sitting there, and your entertainment at night was to sit in the chair and watch the cows and the sheep walk around. Right? That was your entertainment. You didn't have a TV, didn't have an iPad. They didn't have telephones, iPhones back in the day, right? And so you were in the room with the animals, and you kept them there to be safe so somebody wouldn't steal them or some animal wouldn't come and kill them. That's why you locked them up at night. In the morning, you took them out and you chained them up in the daylight around a tree or whatever. And they stayed outside and then you took them to eat grass or get water, whatever it took. So there was one room. It was just a one-room house. And everybody lived in it. Everybody slept in the house. Everybody ate, ate in the house where they cooked outside. And you see the word that says manger? What a manger was, was hollowed out in the stone like Barb was talking about, these stones. It was hollowed out, <clears throat> and that's where they put the hay or the grain, wherever they were feeding the sheep or the cow. And so, 2 o'clock in the morning, cow gets hungry, you know, wants a midnight snack. He just reaches up and reaches over in the manger and gets him a munchie. Right? That's what the manger was for. You just reach over and get him something to eat. It wasn't so he could walk up into the family room because there were steps and he couldn't negotiate that. He just reached over and got him something to eat. But because the whole family was sleeping in the family room, they needed some place to put Jesus when he slept because he was a baby. They just put some hay in the, in the hole in the rock and put Jesus in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger. Jesus wasn't born in a barn with two or three cows and sheep and some wise men standing there, shepherds hanging out. He was born in a house. With the family. He would, why would God let his son be born in a stable with nothing or nobody? He was born in a house with family that wanted him to be there. Now, look what it says. See the guest room? The Catalima that she talked about? It says there was no room in the guest room. Many of the houses back in the day would add a room on because once again it was an honor to entertain a stranger. It was an honor to bring a neighbor in. It was an honor to bring somebody wandering through. It was an honor to put them in your house. And so everybody would build a guest room. And the guest room was there for the guest, right? And so you've got this big family. They're all coming because they have to take the census. They have to stay there until a Roman government official shows up in the city of David, Bethlehem, and says, all right, line up. We're taking a census here. They didn't have the little... Machines you go to and punch. No hanging chads, right? If you're old enough to remember that. No, nothing like that. A Roman centurion would come and say, line up, I'm taking a census. What's your name? What's your family name? Are you from here? Yes. One. Are you from here? Yes. Two. And he would add it all up. So you had to stay there till somebody came. 
So the place was packed with people coming back to their hometown. There was no room for them in the inn of any of the houses there because they all had guests in them. But this family, whoever it was, said, but you can stay in our house. And you can let Jesus rest in the manger. Uh, second thing, uh, I've already talked about historical family lines, but historical memories were everything for that day and time. We write ours down. We, we make scrapbooks and put pictures in and write things down. We go online and type it all up. But back in the day, they remembered everything. They, they passed it on by telling somebody the story. Family histories were passed down from generation to generation. So they would have known Joseph. They would have known he was from the city of David, which brings us to the third thing. Joseph was from a royal line. He was not just a regular Jewish Joseph. He was Joseph from the lineage of David, the greatest king of all Israel. He was not a commoner. He was not just a bump on the log somewhere. He was of royalty. He was from the lineage of David. And when he walked into town and started telling who he was and who his father was, they would have immediately gone back and said, oh, you're in the city of David. You, you're in David's lineage. You're, you're in David's line. You're royalty. He was royal. Joseph, he wasn't some goober. Okay, this wasn't Gomer Pyle showing up. Right? It wasn't Barney Five looking for his one bullet. It wasn't that. This was Joseph from David, the lineage of David, the greatest king of Israel. Everybody would have wanted him to stay in their house. Oh, this is, this is David's. Great, 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 grandson. Fifth thing, the culture of Bethlehem, as I've already said, was one of honor. Honor your neighbor first, even before your family. Never turn away a stranger. The sixth thing, the birth of the child in that culture was a major event. Ladies that have given birth and been in the hospital, let me ask you a question. Did people show up at the hospital when you gave birth to your baby? Let me see those hands. Come on. Be honest. All right. All right now. How many people showed up in your hospital room? Give me a count. How many? Like five? Ten? Do what? Thirty or forty, right? Twenty-nine of whom you wish haven't showed up, right? Is that <laughs> and wish they'd have left earlier. <laughs> Please, I just gave birth. Could you leave? You had 40 people show up at your birth, at birth of your, your children, right? 40 people. How many do you, do you think things have changed since Jesus stayed 2,000 years ago? Everybody would have shown up. He wasn't born and stuck off in the cave and nobody came and saw them and dotted them and brought them baby bottles and blankets and, you know, toys. It wasn't like that. Everybody would have known the baby was born and it was a son, because back in that day, sons were more important than daughters, right? Sorry, that's just the way it was 2,000 years ago. But to have a son born was huge for everybody. A son has been born. Everybody in that town would have shown up. Now, when the baby was being born, he was, when Jesus was being born, he was born in the house. They wouldn't have shipped him outside. He was born in the house and with all kind of midwives around to take care of things. Because they had midwives there and other women showed up. All the men would probably go outside and sit around and talk about sheep. <laughs> they didn't have football back in the day. Couldn't talk about football. Couldn't talk about Facebook, right? 
They talked about sheep and cows. And then when the baby was born and everything was all cleaned up and everything, they were allowed to come in and see the baby. It's kind of how it worked in the day. It was a huge thing. The birth of a child was a huge thing. Sabbath thing. Mary and Joseph, as I already said, they would not have been a secret in town. They, they, you couldn't hide them. They were, they were guests like everybody else. They, they blended in with the crowd. There were probably some other women there who were about to give birth. She probably wasn't the only one. We don't hear that story, but there's a good chance there were. They, they weren't hidden. For weeks or days or maybe a month or two, they wandered around, ate with everybody, hung out, went fishing, talked about sheep. <coughs> Just like you would if you went back to your hometown and there were 200 people there. Now, Joseph had another option. If the houses were full in, in the city of David in Bethlehem, he could have gone about a mile away to the hill country of Judea where Mary's cousin Elizabeth lived. Elizabeth gave birth to who? John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist. And so Joseph was not without options. He could have gone to that town and Mary's kinfolk lived there. Would they have known her when she showed up? What would they have done? There's Mary. There's Mary. Let's go greet Mary. They, they would have welcomed her as well. So it wasn't, we often think of Joseph as this, this buffoon who had no idea what to do with his pregnant wife. He threw on a donkey and, you know, took on his long trek. He was a smart man. In fact, he was a God-fearing, God-listening to man because angels spoke to him, God spoke to him. He heard directions all the time. So he was not an idiot. He was, he was a good father. He was a good dad. He was a good husband. He had options. He could have easily have gone to Elizabeth and Zachariah's house and said, hey, look, there's nowhere to stay in there. Can we stay here? So where did our current understanding of, of the Jesus story come from? It came from a book that was written 200 years, a novel that was written 200 years after the birth of Christ. It's called the Proto-Evangelism of James. Now, you don't have to remember that. That won't be on the final exam. But that's the actual name of the Proto-Evangelism of James. But some guy, it wasn't James that wrote it. Some guy wrote it and he romanticized the story. He romanticized it. He added things into it. And if you go back and read that, you'll read it and go, oh, that's a story I've heard all my life. But it wasn't based on the scriptures that we're sharing here and the illustrations that Barbara has seen on her travels uh, to Jerusalem. So the other side of the page, you can see on page 29, you can see how there was possibly a door, some sort of doorway and you entered into the lower level. That's where the sheep, the cows, the goats would stay. Okay. And then there might have been stairs or some sort of walkway that went up so the animals wouldn't go up into the, into the living room there. Uh, the roof was flat and could have had a guest room built on top of it. You can read that for yourself on 29. Or they could have attached a room on the end of the house, which we've already looked at. And sometimes they would add a room on so that when a prophet came through town, he had somewhere to stay. And everybody wanted the prophet to stay with them because blessings followed the prophet. Remember the widow that ran out of food? She had you know, just a little bit left and make one more pancake, right? And the prophet showed up and she said, I, I, I can make one pancake. 
He said, that's fine, I'll take it. And so she went to make a pancake, and she made a pancake for him, and she went back and looked in the flour jar, and there's like 17 tons of flour there, right? And oil and everything else she needed to make a lot more pancakes. And so the whole time the prophet was there, they had pancake mix. And they really liked pancakes and had maple syrup to go with it. But he would have stayed in the guest room and would have been a blessing to those who were there. So, to sum up, Jesus was born in a family, in a family room of, of some description, with a family there present, in a warm and friendly house with friendly people. Right. Women and children probably came and played with Jesus and as children do, and grandparents probably held him. Neighbors, I'm talking about, probably held him like a grandparent would, like a papa or a Gigi would. You know, they want to hold the thing. Now, they probably brought gifts and food and things for the whole family to eat because that's the kind of culture they lived in. It was a very beautiful experience, much like what we experience today, where people come around and 40 people come visit us and they, they bring receiving blankets and diapers and wipes. You need lots of those, by the way. You need lots of those, by the way. Like 20 a day. Jesus wasn't born alone, and he didn't die alone. The women were at the foot of the cross. The women were at his birth. Right? Jesus didn't, wasn't born alone. He didn't die alone. Isn't that beautiful? God set all this up. He wanted his son to be surrounded by a warm family. He said, this is family, son. Enjoy this. And even in his death, family, spiritual family, surrounded him and his mom. He slept on a straw mattress, being wrapped in swaddling clothes. He probably had the best bed in the house, right? Wise men, the Bible says, and the wise men came to the house. Remember that verse? And said they showed up at the house. So he was in the house when the wise men showed up. He wasn't in the cave. The wise men showed up. The shepherds showed up. Do you know the shepherds were, and Barbara's already alluded to this a couple of times when she shared, the shepherds were the outcasts. Nobody wanted to be a shepherd. You know why they didn't want to be a shepherd? It's because when you tend sheep, uh, stuff gets on you. Uh, blood, when you're fixing a wound, all kind of things. And you're unclean to go to church. In Jewish society, you, you can't go to church. You're unclean. If you get messed up, you've got to wait a whole week before you can go to church. Well, you've got to take care of sheep for another week. And so you, you can't go to church. So they were outcasts because of their profession, because they were always unclean because they were doing their job. And the church has set rules up to say, well, if you get some of that stuff on you, you can't come in here. Sad, isn't it? And so they were outcasts. And God said, look, I, he sent an angel and said, look, don't be afraid. I've got good news for you. A Savior is born. Now, these shepherds were not idiots. They were not buffoons either. They were smart. They knew the Bible. They knew the Old Testament. They knew the prophecies of a Savior coming. And when the angel said, a Savior is coming, and I want y'all to go see him, that was good news. Because... They would never have been allowed to go see royalty as shepherds, much less go to church, right? They would never have been allowed to do that. But God said, I want y'all to go see the shepherd first, uh, go, to go see the Savior first. He chose shepherds to go see the good news of Jesus Christ first. Isn't that just like God? He took the lowly of lowlies who couldn't go anywhere, and they got to see the Savior first. Isn't that beautiful? Now, 
God didn't stop there. He also wanted to know the rich and the uppity uppities. They could come to Jesus too. So he sent wise men bearing gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Right? So the whole story, the whole gospel story is there. From the lowliest to the lowliest to the rich and almighty. Jesus has come for all of us. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? You see, Jesus was wrapped at his birth. And he was wrapped in his death. He outgrew the first one. He didn't need the second one. Amen?